I love that song. That's a, uh, it's, now it's kind of an older song, but uh, I don't know. How many of that was a new song to you? How many of that was a new song? We're going to learn that, sing that as a church. Uh, you can take out your Bible with me and open to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Uh, a well-familiar passage, I'm sure. We're going to be zoning in on just two verses this morning. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11, go ahead and find that there in your Bible. I'll ask you to stand in a minute, we'll read it. Well, you know what? The great ambition in the life of every believer ought to be to, to please the Lord. The great ambition in the life of every believer ought to be to praise the Lord it, it, and, and to please the Lord. Not only praise the Lord, but to please the Lord. Isn't that what the Bible says uh, in, where it says, so that whether we are home or away... We make it our aim, Paul says, to please him. He's talking about the great ambition in the life of any Christ follower. It should be to live a life that pleases God. That's what Paul told to his protege Timothy as he's writing in 2 Timothy. He says, Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim, the great goal, his great ambition in life is to please the one who enlisted him. The psalmist picks up this in Psalm 145, where the psalmist says, um, Psalm 19, he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. Let, let it be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Paul picks up the theme again in one of his letters. He says, we speak as those entrusted with the gospel, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. And he goes on in the same passage to talk about our life, and he says, our life ought to walk in a way that pleases God. So really, the great ambition in the life of every follower of Christ should be to please the Lord. But I wonder this morning, how many of you are here, and you've kind of wrestled with that? You've, you've maybe asked yourself the question, what in life pleases God? How is God pleased in my life? And, and as we ask those questions and as we ponder those things, um, you know, even Paul in his, in his letter to the book in, in Ephesians, he says that we as believers need to try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so I want to pose a question to you this morning that we're going to answer from Scripture, and it's just simply a, a very simple question. What does a life that is pleasing to God look like? What is a life that is pleasing to God look like? And in order to answer the question, uh, we're going to turn here in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're in the 11th chapter. And here, we're not only just going to find the answer to the question of what is a life that pleased God looks like, but also we're going to find in Hebrews 11 a portrait of a life. We're going to find a, a person, a character from Scripture that embodied this with his life. It's, it's the life of Enoch. And so you have your Bible there open to Hebrews 11. Would you stand with me? We're going to read two verses there, verse 5 and verse 6. So what does it look like to live a life that pleases God? This should be the great ambition of each of our lives. If you're a follower of Christ, the goal of your life should be to live in a way that pleases the Lord. How do we do that? The Scripture answers it for us in the life of Enoch. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. 
Let's pray. Father, we believe this morning that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. We pray that, Lord, this morning you'd help us to answer this very simple question. What does it mean to to have my life live in a way that pleases you? Lord, may we not be ignorant of what pleases you. We pray that this morning your spirit would come, your spirit would fill our hearts. Lord, we believe that you are a teacher, and so we pray that from this passage, Lord, you'd open our eyes to truth. We pray that we would be faithful to take the next step in our own Christian journey. And Lord, we're just going to thank you in advance for how your spirit's going to work in this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Well, we're, we're going to look at a character in the Bible that many of us maybe have never even heard of. Uh, his name is mentioned just a couple places in Scripture. Uh, he is quite an enigmatic figure when you come to the Bible. Who is this guy by the name of Enoch? He's, he's only found in a couple places. And so who is Enoch? Who is this man? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that he is the seventh son from Adam. He is seven generations from the first man, Adam. And, and yet, there's very little that is said of him in the Bible. He's mentioned only in three passages. And yet, One of those passages that Enoch is mentioned is right here in Hebrews chapter 11. He's he's mentioned here in what many people call the hall of faith. He is with some people that are not uh, nobodies. These are people that many people have heard of, names like Moses and Noah and Abraham. And yet, as as we open our Bible to Hebrews 11, Enoch is right there. He's actually one of the first ones to be mentioned, and he is commended not only for his faith, but there's a portrait of his life that this morning we're just going to kind of unpack. We're going to see a little bit of a character sketch of who this guy was. And notice in your Bible, look down at verse 5. The Bible says he was commended for one thing. This is what he was remembered for, for having pleased God. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you love that to be the epitaph that you're remembered for? That you are remembered for a person who was somebody pleasing to God, somebody who walked with God? I mean, the Bible says that he, God was pleased with him because of the way that he walked with God. And, and, and wouldn't we want that to be what's remembered of us? I mean, how powerful would it be, Sam, to, people, people remember you as, as Sam's a guy that walks with God. Erica, a lady who walks with God. Ty, a guy that walks with God. Can you imagine at the end of our life, and and there's one thing that's remembered of us, one thing only that is spoken of us, and, and what was said of us is that they were somebody who walked with God, and yet that's what Enoch's remembered for. What an amazing person to think about that Enoch is somebody who is walking with God, but here's the thing, he's walking in a generation with a lot of people who are not walking with God. In fact, if if you look in Genesis chapter 5 and you kind of look at the backdrop of of what was happening in his generation, you discover that Enoch was living in a very perverse and crooked generation. He was living in a time when many people walked contrary to the Almighty. People were not walking with God. I think about our day today. I mean, you look out on the world and you say, are people walking with God today? Are people living a life where, where, where God is in, not just a part of it, but God's in the center of it? God, God's the reason for what they're existing for? And Enoch, yet here, is remembered as somebody who is walking with God, and yet he was living in a generation where there was a lot of people walking contrary to God. And what was the issue? They were living for themselves. They were living for their own pleasures. You read the backdrop of Genesis 5, and if you turn the page into chapter 6, you discover that less than a generation later, less than 70 years later, this is what God says. 
He saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You say, what's the problem? Enoch was living in a day when, when everybody was walking contrary to God. And here's this guy that stands out in the tide as somebody different. He stands out as somebody who's living a life that is well-pleasing to God. And, and you think about the day in he's living. I mean, Enoch is living right before the flood. He's living in a day of perversion. He's living in a day where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And I mean, sadly, we look out on our world and we say, man, we're pretty close to that, right? I mean, the wickedness of man and just, and, and just the selfishness of man. And, and what was the problem here? It was, it was the problem in his day. It's the problem in every generation. It's, if we opened our Bibles this morning to Romans 1, it's the problem in Romans 1. That mankind does not acknowledge God, neither do they give thanks to God. They do not worship Him as Creator, but rather they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we live in this sensuality. We live in this pleasure. And we're in a day, in a generation, where people are walking contrary to God. And that was the same thing happening in Enoch's day. People who were, were, were living in pride and selflessness and self-exaltation. And the Bible would say all of those things displease God. Here's the thing. I was thinking about this this week. You cannot rightly please other people unless you are first and foremost pleasing God. If you're not living a life to please the Lord, then there's absolutely nothing you will do well in an effort to try and please someone else. Enoch stands out as in his generation as somebody different. People marked him out as different. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, he's given two verses, and, and the thing that set him apart was what? He was a man who walked with God. So we ask the question, what's different about him? Who is this guy? And what was he like? How did his life live in a way that pleased the Lord? I'm going to give you three things that we see in Enoch's life here this morning. If you're keeping notes, here it is. Number one, what is he remembered for? He's remembered for his dynamic faith. He's remembered for his dynamic faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch was remembered for his dynamic faith. The Bible tells us in the Romans that those who are in the flesh cannot, hear me closely, they cannot please God. What does that mean? We, if this morning, if you are not born again and you have not been reconciled to God, there is nothing that you can possibly do in your life that can find the Lord to be pleased with you. In order to be pleased, for God to be pleased with your life, it, it requires that each one of us be born again, that we be reconciled to God. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please Him. If I don't have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing in my life that God looks at and says, I am pleased with that. If we don't have faith to believe that He is and that He exists, and in this passage, He's the rewarder of those who seek Him, Enoch was different, though. He lived a life of dynamic faith. We walk by faith, the Bible says, and not by sight. How many of you raise your hand and you say, you know, Pastor Aaron, I kind of waver in my faith sometimes. Any honest people in church this morning? I often wonder, how did Enoch waver? All of these people in Hebrews 11, you read the character story of their life, and some of them had some major mistakes. Major mistakes. Can they ever come back from that? Answer? Yes. Why? The grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, my friend, where would you be and where would I be? Seriously, where would we be apart from the grace of God? We were talking in our deacons meeting this morning, and I told the men, I said, you know, when we think about the life of a church, and, um, you know, Jessica and I were thinking this year, over the years, thinking about being here at Catawba, and just, you know, churches have their ups and their downs. They have their highs and the low. 
But what shouldn't surprise us is that a church goes through these rhythms. What, what should really surprise us is a church goes through those rhythms and God carries them through. Isn't that the grace of God at work in the life of a people? I mean, isn't it the grace of God that, that, that it stabilizes us and helps us grow? Apart from God's grace, where would we be? And Enoch here, he comes to the Lord in faith. There was a time in Enoch's life when faith began. He did not always have this faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. But, but he, didn't, he wasn't just born as this faith-filled person. If you, if you look, and we don't have time to go there, but in Genesis chapter 5, you can read of when faith began in Enoch's life. The Bible says he was 65 years old. And when he was 65 years old, he fathered Methuselah. Now, that name should catch us. Who was Methuselah? Yeah, the oldest man who ever lived. And this was his son. And the Bible says after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. So the only thing we can assume is for the first 65 years of his life, he didn't walk with God. But after the birth of his son and in this moment, in this time, Enoch's life changed. There certainly had to have been something that happened in this man's life around the birth of his son that caused him to turn to the Lord. Because after Methuselah shows up, Enoch starts walking with God, and he walks with God for the next 300 years. He's like, man, this is, these are old people. Yeah. I mean, pre-flood, pre-flood, people lived a long time. But there's something significant in all of this, and we're not told what it is, but I think if we were to peer into the story a little bit and hear what the Bible's saying, that for the first 65 years, he didn't walk with God, but after the birth of his son, something changed in his life. What changed? His story is like a lot of stories that I hear in the church. I know Stephen can attest to this, and people coming into the church, you won't believe how many people I've met over the years who, because of their children, will make a decision for Christ. Some of you, that might have been your story. You had nothing to do with God prior to the birth of your son or daughter, but then in that moment, something started changing for you. You realized, I don't have all the answers to life. I got questions that I can't answer, and they need answers, and I don't know where to find those. And, and so you say, well, let's just go to church. Because <laughs> hopefully, you, 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 even as a parent, you recognize they need something, even if you're not willing to receive it yourself. And I mean, I've heard the story over the years of, of, of parents who who personally wanted nothing to do with the faith. They wanted nothing to do with a relationship with God, but they wanted it for their child. And so they go to church. I don't know if that was Enoch's story, but when he considers the birth of his son, his life begins to take an entirely different shape. He begins to walk with God. And kids really reveal our inadequacies, don't they? How many of you, your children, really made you realize how much you need wisdom how many, how many of your children made you realize you need patience? How, how many of you, your children, made you realize you need grace? Kids have a way of revealing this, and, and I don't know what was happening in Enoch's life, but I think as a father, um, there was something profound in the birth of his son that, that changed his life, because for the next 300 years, what is said of Enoch's life is that he walked with God. He walked with God. You know, I thought about this week, it could have been a conversation he had with Adam. You realize the Bible tells us that Adam lived to be 930 years old, and even seven generations from Adam, Enoch would be alive at the same time that Adam was alive? I mean, maybe Adam went by to see him after the birth of his son. I mean, after all, it's his seventh great-great-great-great-grandchild, you know? And you think about it, had Adam been there and saw uh, Enoch and seen Methuselah and holding him in his arms and maybe they started up a conversation. Maybe Adam started talking to him about his children and his sons and the way that their lives took two completely different courses. 
And maybe Adam talked to him about a redeemer. Maybe he talked to him about one who would come and crush the serpent's head. And maybe Adam even thought, could this boy be the person? And as they had this conversation, Adam and Enoch possibly, did Adam talk to him about what it was like to walk with God in the cool of the day? I mean, pre-flood, maybe the angel was still standing guard with Eden with the flaming sword. We're not really told, but but there was something profound in Enoch's life that changed him. For the next 300 years, his life followed a different course. He was said of somebody that he walked with God. He walked with God. Some Bible scholars, even as I was researching this this week, it really caught me. You may not even care about this, but, but some Bible scholars speculate that the name of Methuselah means his death sends. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. What is his death sending? Well, some Bible scholars think Methuselah was like a prophecy. The Bible says Enoch prophesied. So, so maybe there was something in the death of Methuselah. And then we're actually told like in the Bible that the year that Methuselah dies, God does send something. What does he send? A flood, and so maybe there was this prophecy that that Enoch was getting confronted with in the birth of his son, and he starts thinking about that life is short, and he's starting to think about judgment and all of this. We're not told, but something changed in his life. There was a moment when he had dynamic faith, and he put his faith in in God. He put his faith in what God was saying. And here's the thing. We all, in the same way, have a moment in our life where we put our faith in in God or not. There comes a moment in our life when we'll make a decision to be born again and to trust Christ or we'll make a decision to reject Christ. But the truth is, all of us this morning, if you're a born again Christian, your life can be placed in two volumes. Volume one was your life before Jesus. Volume two is what your life has been ever since then. And some of you, your second volume is so different than your first volume. Why? Because you came to Christ late in life, but God made such a change in your life and you've walked a path contrary to God, but you know what it means to live a life in God. And to have the fullness of God in your life. And, and, and this was Enoch because the, after, his, his, after 65 years, something in his life changed. He made this decisive act that he was going to believe in God and quit believing in himself. He's living in a generation when everybody is putting their faith in themselves. But he's going to stop putting his faith in himself and he's going to put his faith in God. He's going to take God to be who he says he is. And some of you, that's what you need to do this morning. You need to quit your own self-reliant efforts and quit depending on yourself. And why don't you start depending on God? Why don't you find God to be true? Why, why don't you do what the scriptures say? And that is we can never do anything in our life to make ourselves acceptable to God. But praise God for the gospel. He's made us acceptable to him. Amen. And so you see, there's this thing. Enoch had this moment in his life when he began to take God by his word. He began to believe God. And and just like Abraham, it was counted unto him as righteousness. And so Enoch not only has faith in God as creator and his redeemer, but as we read in the book of Jude, he has faith that God is the judge. He says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. So what do we discover about the life of Enoch? One, he had dynamic faith. But two, something else so profound He had an intimate communion with God. He was somebody, the Bible says, that walked with God. Now, if you're going to walk with somebody, what does that imply? What does it imply if you're walking with somebody? Jessica and I go on walks right now. We've been walking up at the Appalachian Trail and just taking Ashland and enjoying the beauty of it. And, you know, we're we're going a couple miles and we're walking. And as we're walking, we're doing what? I'm talking. 
You see, to, to, to walk with somebody implies relationship with somebody. It implies that there's this communion. And what was standing out about the life of Enoch was he was different. He was a man of faith in a generation that was faithless. He, he was a man that was walking with God. He had communion with God. And this is what he's remembered for. The book of Amos says, how can two walk together except they agree? So there was a moment in Enoch's life when he comes to faith in God, but now he begins to walk with God and he's relating everything in his life to God. He's expressing his confidence in the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. He's trusting the Lord. He's expressing his love for God. He's, he's walking with the Lord. He's, he's walking step by step. Can I ask you a question? Are you like that? Could we say about your life this week that you've been walking with God? You just didn't come to meet God, but you spent this week walking with Him. And there's a personal relationship there, and there's an intimacy. You see, the person that we are to model is the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what was said of Jesus. Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. How could Jesus say that? You say, well, He's God. Okay, but He's God in the flesh. How could Jesus say that? And he, causes, he calls you and I to walk and follow in his path. How could he say he could do the things that are pleasing to him? Because he has a relationship with God. Some of us, the reason why we don't do the things that please the Lord is because we don't even know who God is. And if we were to know him, we would know what pleases him. We would know what displeases him. Enoch got it. He was a man who walked with God. He had dynamic faith. He had an intimate communion, but thirdly and finally, he was somebody that exercised complete obedience. Not perfect obedience, but complete obedience. John says this in his, gospel, in his letter. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we do not practice the truth. We lie. Here's the thing, my friend. It's impossible to walk with God and to live in sin at the same time. We can't. If, if we're living in sin, if we're doing the things that displease the Lord, then we're not walking with God. We're not doing the things that are pleasing to Him. The Bible says that whatever we ask from Him, we can have the confidence that we will receive from Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments. Like what Stephen said this morning, there's this condition if we keep His commandments. You see, if we do the things that are pleasing to Him, the Bible says we receive for Him the things that we ask. Enoch walked with God all of his days. And notice, look down in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 11, find verse 5, and notice what happened to Enoch. Something supernatural, crazy happens. What happened in verse 5? By faith, Enoch was what? He was what? He was transformed. He was taken up. Verse 5, he was taken up that he should not see death. And he was not what? He was not found. Why? Because God did what? God took him. I mean, what an amazing statement. Can you imagine what this must have been like? The guys go down in the market and they're there and they're like, hey, have you seen Enoch? And the guy at the market in the cafe, he's like, well, no, I haven't seen him for his regular coffee this morning. They start asking around town, where's Enoch? Have you seen Enoch? And, and the answer was what? He, he could not be what? He's not found. God took him. What does that mean? He was literally... This, this has only happened to like two people in the Bible, okay? But they were like literally, they didn't taste death. They were literally translated into the presence of God. And notice in verse 5, notice the end. Why did God take him? Why did God take him? End of verse 5. Now before he was taken, he was commended. He had this testimony. This is what he is remembered for, as having pleased God. And without faith, it is 
impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, Enoch in his life came to believe in this dynamic faith that God exists, that he is the maker of heaven and earth. He, he believed that God exists, but he also came to understand that God is inherently good in all that he does, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. And God gave Enoch the greatest reward that he could ever have received. You know what that was? God himself. God himself. Enoch didn't even have to taste death. God was somebody who who rewarded his faithfulness in a way like he has done no one else, and that is he literally gave him the greatest thing he could possibly get, and that is God himself. What do we take away from all this? Two things. We can walk with God. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you can walk with God. You can walk with God. Enoch walked with God in a day when people didn't. And you know what? Enoch didn't have a lot of things that we have. Did Enoch have a full Bible? Yes or no? No. Did Enoch have a church full of positive, encouraging believers? Yes or no? No. Did he have the outpouring of the Spirit of God? Yes or no? No. Not the way we do. And yet he walked with God every day of his life. Did he have a whole bunch of people who were walking with him? Yes or no? But he still walked. He's a a person that we remember as being faithful. And the thing is, God, God, these these things were written for examples to us. Because because I can walk with God. You know, we give a lot of reasons as to why we're not as faithful as we should be. Man, all the reasons we make up as to why we're not faithful, what somebody else has done to us, what somebody else has said about us, the thing we went through in life, The Bible says all of us in Christ are in a race. And Paul says, so run in such a way that you may win. But some of us are not on the path. Some of us aren't even on the track. Some of us have gotten sidelined in our faith and we're off the race. And this morning, I want to lovingly say to you, my friend, you can live a life that pleases God. You can walk with God. So what? You've been sidelined. Get back up. Follow again. Follow again, because there is a great reward. There is a great reward. You can walk with God, and then secondly, this morning, what do we take away from this? You can please God. You can please God in your life today. The Bible says in verse 6, there's something that God is pleased with. What is it? Someone shout it out. Faith. God's, God's pleased with faith. Some of us are like the generation that Jesus talked about that was a faithless generation. Why don't you have the faith to believe God? I don't care what the diagnosis was. I don't don't care what you heard this week. Why don't you have the faith to believe God? Trust him that he is able to do. Trust him that he exists. Trust him that he rewards and gives good things to his children. There's, There's an evidence right here in the life of Enoch, so why don't you trust him? And you know what? There are many days in our life where I think God, we would think that God is not pleased with us. Some of us have failed, some of us have, have gotten off the path, some of us have, whatever, we've given all these excuses and we say, well, is God really pleased with me? Listen to two verses. Psalm 149, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. This is who God is. God takes pleasure in us. I love Philippians chapter 2 where it says, for God works in you both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. I want God to be pleased with my life. I want God to be pleased. Do you want God to be pleased? I think about that song. I, I was literally all week as I've been studying, I, I thought about the song that Richard sings. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me as I think of Calvary. Is my master satisfied with me? You know, I, yesterday was 10 years that Jessica and I have been here. Crazy to think about. And I, and I started thinking about, you know, the delights in ministry and the difficulties in ministry. And I think about what Alistair Begg says, someone who I love to listen to. He says, you know, as a, as a pastor, like a chef, you can cut your finger off in four days like you can 40. So really, like, there's nothing to, like, celebrate because, like, because, like the verdict's still out, right? Right? I mean, seriously. And, and, and as I think back over, like, the years, it really causes me to, to answer a question Lord, are you satisfied? Lord, are you satisfied with your church? Are you, are you satisfied with my life? Lord, am I, am I pleasing you? And we can all think about things in our life that either didn't or are not pleasing to God. But you know what? There's good news and there's grace for us today. Because God's at work in your life this morning for his good pleasure. And then and, and this morning, if, if you would just simply do what Enoch did, believe that God exists, and believe that he is the rewarder of those who seek him, you will find the greatest, deepest joy that that world can't offer, your job can't give you. Jesus is satisfied with you. He's pleased with me. You know what? And it causes me to stop thinking about people with me because a lot of us are pointing to the people in our generation and saying, well, they're not faithful and I won't be faithful. You know, Enoch didn't do that. He said, I'm living with a whole bunch of people that are faithless, but I'm going to do what pleases the Lord. Is God pleased with you? You have to answer that this morning. Is God pleased with you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word, for the promises of your word, we thank you that you have not for abandoned us. Lord, you in love are committed to us. Lord, you take pleasure in your people, in our failures, in, in our sin, in our, in our wanderings. Lord, in the ways, the countless ways that we disappoint you, and yet you take pleasure in your people. Lord, because they're bearing an image of yourself. And I pray, Lord, this morning for brothers and sisters who maybe this morning God have just gotten sidelined. They're not running a race to win it. They're just, they're just going. Lord, would you help them to refocus on the prize? Would you help us all to see the tremendous joy that awaits? Give us the courage, God, to take the step we need to take. And help us remember that you're going to always be faithful to your people. We just give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Jessica's going to play and as she plays, this is an opportunity for you to respond. The invitation right here is right in your seat this morning. Maybe God leads you to come forward and kneel here at these steps. You're welcome to do that. But maybe you just want to kneel there in your seat. Maybe you want to bow your head where you are. Answer this question as Jessica plays. Is God pleased with my life today? I mean, if Jesus was to walk through these doors and you and him were to sit down and have a conversation 
about where you stand today and, and what your relationship is like with him, would God be pleased? And if you say, no, there's some things in my life that aren't pleasing to him, then make it right today. Confess it. Find God's forgiveness. You've lived in doubt in this morning. God wants you to take a step of faith and believe him for something. Would you believe him this morning? You respond as Jessica plays this morning.